So I'm joined again by Peter Licarinas. Thank you for coming back on and talking this time about co-living HMO. And we're gonna really debunk the stereotype of what HMO is and your vision for how you see it today, the present, and obviously in the future as well. My goal is to change the face of HMOs and, and co-living. Um, and, and I think that's really, really important because it needs to, like anything in life, it evolves. Joined with Andy because you recently went to one of Pete's newly, or I don't know, was it fully finished or was it neat? Was, was, was it finished? Yeah. yeah, very, very impressed. It wasn't your typical HMO yeah. you think of in your head. It was a, it was a bit more than that. But yeah, we'll we'll talk about that further further on. Absolutely, <clears throat> Pete. I know over the years that I've known you've always been passionate about investing, and you've really turned into your own market and your own niche around. HMOs or co-living and we're going to kind of really touch base on that but for the market itself and for your investors for your clients and how you see it that's that's the way forward in your niche and that's the way that you feel at the moment is is a really good place for the right investor be, to be putting their money absolutely um look I think I don't like the word HMO you know that um but that's what 99% of people know yeah. I think HMOs have got a bad name for the right reasons um, because there's been some bad landlords out there in the past. But I think like anything, the world is evolving. Um, and I think HMOs have actually been evolving for a few years now into co-living. I'm looking forward to talking more about what co-living means. Um, but effectively, yes, I think HMOs done properly, so co-living, um, are still one of, if not the best way to invest. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and it's not just about the HMO, it's about the property itself yeah it's about finding a property below market value it's about adding value to that property it's about having a 10-year 15-year plan and an end goal it's about being able to refinance um refinance properly um to reinvest if you need to um and it's all about ethical investing um and i'm all about ethical investing where there's a a win-win for everybody involved whether that's me the agent the seller the investor uh, the tenant, uh, if you can create a win-win for everyone, uh, it's a much, much more sustainable, profitable and ethical um, solution. You mentioned like HMOs and that stereotype and obviously not liking, you know, the phrase, the word, the terminology. Why is that? Why do you think that, that our population, our country has got that kind of view? Is, is there a lot of people in the past that have made a lot of mistakes with it? Or what's the main reason why it's got that tarnished? Good, really good question. Well, let's look at the word itself. House of multiple occupancy. Yeah. I don't think there's a less sexy <laughs> phrase. Sounds busy. But I've sounds heard. Busy. It, so it sounds busy, doesn't it? It doesn't sound yeah. very appealing. Um, and look, what's your knowledge of HMOs? If I ask you guys, you'd probably say students. You'd probably say lots of people in a house together. Yeah. You'd probably say people living in rundown properties. Um, and for me, it couldn't be further from the truth. But um, I'd have to agree with that. And I think what I did when I saw those elements of HMOs is I just saw an opportunity. I saw an opportunity to, to evolve with times. That's evolving for the investor. That's evolving for the tenant as well. And provide accommodation that people will be surprised about. People had never seen before and create in our own market. Um, and I think that's what we've done. I think we've created our own market and I think others are starting to follow now and that's where this industry is going. On your social media, you you do talk about kind of uh, luxury. You're trying to bring that, that vibe of luxury into it. And 
it's hard because it's a phrase which people will go, okay, yeah, another luxury product. But you obviously went and had a look at them yeah. and you've worked the London market as well. Mm. You've, you've worked the London market from, uh, I guess, from student perspective or from a, a full-blown old school yeah. kind of old landlord style HMO where yeah. someone's converted a three bed into a 19 bed or something. So from your point of view, what was the kind of key difference to what you've seen and what you saw? I think the dif difference is, is, is with your model, it is all about giving you that luxury environment where everything's got that modern touch. You've got everything that you need. Everything is done to to a fantastic condition that it feels like you're in a hotel. You're in a five-star hotel. There's nothing wrong with it at all. Plenty of space in there. And you've got everything that you need. Mm -hmm. Now with HMOs going back to sort of having a bad rep, you hear all these stories about HMO cramped conditions, small bedrooms, sharing this, sharing that, and just the standards haven't been up to scratch with what a landlord should have. But if you look at uh, at Peter's side of things on what he's trying to do, I wanted to live there. It was that it was that good that I wanted to live there. You had everything in there, you know. You had amazing space, and it is just yeah, like being in a hotel. You're looked after. You feel that you know everything's there that you could possibly possibly need. And because you go into there and you feel like the standards are high, then you know that you're you're in a you're in a good place and that you'll be looked after. We spoke on the other podcast that you were on where we were talking about general property investing, that being proud of your asset, being proud of your investment, yeah. being proud of your product at the end of it. Clearly you're proud because I talked to you about when one's finished and you're kind of, <laughs> you know, it's this theme, it's that theme, we've got this. You know, I remember the one that I went to see um, a couple of years now, You know, the, the one in Bracknell and it had like a gym in the garden and all sorts of different setups. And it wasn't finished at the time, but you, you could see the pride that you had around it. And I guess that's something which not a lot of investors feel that way mm. about their buy-to-let or their, their product. I, I, I completely agree. And I think that's why we carefully pick um, who we feel will be ethical matches to work with us and partner with. Um, we like to work with investors that are in it for the long game, investors that want to buy into um, what we're doing and how we're evolving. Um, but the, the returns are incredible as well, by the way. They're, the returns on a co-living project with us is far greater than a HMO. So the returns are there for the investor as well, but the investors are, are equally as, as proud as we are. And then our tenants are equally as proud as well. So the tenants are going out and telling their mates about where they're living and what they're doing. And I love that. And I don't think that's, yeah. that's ever happened before. And I've got to look my investors in, in the face every day because we try and create a client for life. And that means an investor working with us for 10 years. So what we say, what we do has got to be sustainable. And a lot of our investors become friends because we work yeah. with them for, for so long. So uh, for me, it's really important that we're working with people that are proud of what we're producing. So not, not working with people that are just looking to make a, a quick buck. It's actually, let this is our investment. Let's look after it. Let's do the best thing that we can. Let's look after these people and completely change sort of the, the outlook on HMOs. 100%. Type name. My... my, my my goal is to change the face of HMOs and, mm. and co-living. Um, and, and I think that's really, really important because it needs to. Like anything in life, it evolves. Um, and it's not just about the property. We spoke about that in the podcast as, as well. Um, it's about what, what's the biggest growing commodity in the world or the most sustainable um, or, or a combination of both. For me, it's convenience. Mm. People mm. look 
for convenience in their busy lifestyles and their stressful lifestyles. And we provide convenience. They can just move in. They know they've got the best Wi-Fi. They know they've got quality furniture. They know they've got enough storage. They know they don't have to go and buy a, a TV or a, um, a, a, an ironing board, mm-hmm. uh, even cutlery. Everything is supplied. So they can just literally move in. And then we've got the, the level of service. Um, Robert, Michael and I were talking about it. Um, and the level of service that Avocado put into their clients, their investors from a lettings point of view. And we're the same. Um, it's all about the service you provide those tenants as well. If you nail all of those things, you're going to get the best returns for the investor. You're going to provide the best accommodation for the tenant. You're going to have the least amount of void periods. Again, ethically investing, everyone's happy. I think there's when you look at the layers of how property, how the property market works, typically in the 20 years I've done it, you've seen social housing, you know, council tenants and, and that element of things. And that that's where they sit. That's where they will sit indefinitely. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just we work with that as well. By the way, that's a that's a different element of the business. But there's, I think there's a market for all, all of those different areas, Ian. And you're you're absolutely right. And they're all as important as each other. But I'm just this is a market that hasn't ever been touched. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think you've got that layer. Then you've got people that become first time buyers and they become homeowners. Yeah. They go on that journey. They kind of move out of home, and that's that's what they do. They might rent for a little bit before and then they go into there, but they're never going to be lifetime renters. But then you do have the lifetime renters, the people that are going to rent all their life. And it was pretty much those three areas. But now there's a new layer and the new layer seems to be more entrepreneurial type people, people that want the flexibility of being able to go from A to B within the country. They travel a little bit more. They work from home a lot more. They're probably looking at um, doing a job where they're maybe in contract work or something along those lines. So they're contractors of some sort of IT type specialist setup, or they're starting their own business. And that layer means you've got a really good, you know, earning tenant, but the tenant that doesn't want to be in a position where they're shelling all their money out on a big mm. free bed rental, they don't want to be in the property market. And it feels like that seems to be a marketplace, which is evolving and growing probably bigger than some of the other markets. And that's, potentially the sort of tenants that I would imagine you'd be talking to. A hundred percent. I mean, we, we look at areas and we go into areas with a big blue chip presence, with a big company base, with big town centers, city centers, um, um, areas that are trying to expand and um, uh, evolve. Uh, and because of that, um, there's, a, there's a lot of people that have need housing. And you look at the price. I mentioned this on the, the podcast last week. You mentioned the price of a one-bedroom flat for £1,100. When you're living on your own, you've got a small bedroom, you've got an ensuite, not always a nice one, um, you've got a small kitchen, definitely not a nice one, even nice ones aren't nice ones. Um, £1,100. You, you could rent a luxury room for £900, have a big bedroom, beautiful furniture, your own study off a bedroom, uh, your own ensuite or never share or a big beautiful stunning bathroom that you only share with one other person um beautiful kitchen breakfast rooms everything you need don't worry about wi-fi don't worry about putting the television in taking away when you leave anything like that um for 900 pounds a month yeah why wouldn't you do that and i remember it wasn't long after your pod the, the first podcast i came on with you guys i said i'm going to create a 900 pound room um at a networking event. I kid you not, people laughed at me. People <laughs> laughed. I've been in property 25 years. I knew what I was saying and why I was saying it. Um, now we're looking at the first £1,000 room. That's what yeah. we're looking at. And Next we've got we've got plans to create the, 
the, the, the best co-living project we've ever done, which would be obviously the best in the UK, which will create £1,000 rooms, which is insane returns for the investor, mm. but it's still insane quality for the tenant. It's just getting that, that, that balance right. Yeah. St standards are really important. I remember when I came to see you, you said there's certain things that we don't deviate from. And one of them was six rooms. That was a big thing for you at the time. Is that that's to do with the regulations? Could you explain? Yeah, there's, there's a few reasons. Let me explain. Um, who wants to live in a house with ten other people? That's not a home. That's take that's going above and beyond the home, mm. and that's becoming an institution, a college, uh, yeah. a halls. It's it just student student accommodation. It's just yeah, yeah, who wants to live with ten people? And it's very difficult to get ten like-minded people together. But to get five or six like-minded people together, it's easy. Mm. Um, Lots of other reasons. When you go past six bedrooms, six people in a HMO or co-living project, the legislation changes. Uh, I mean, we can roll and punch with that. That's that's not necessarily a problem. We can mm. put the planning through. We know what we're doing. But do we want to? Do we need to? Yeah. Is there any need to? Probably not. Um, also, if you look at a six-bed HMO that we do or a six-bed co-living project, and then you look at a eight-bed, if you did a six-bed right, you're converting the house into a way which actually adds more value. You put too many rooms in the house, you're devaluing yeah. it, okay? We look at the way we develop houses and we add value to the house. We have a plan B from a residential point of view. Um, the councils love us because of what and how we're, we're doing it. Tenants love it because they like to um, live with four or five like-minded people. It just works. Mm. Um, and also, the investor's getting more income off six rooms the way we do it than he would eight or nine rooms the way that somebody else would do it. So at no point do we jeopardize income, yield, value. If anything, we're adding it. So when you when you look um, at one of these properties, how do, how do you plan for that project? What are your sort of top three golden rules for for planning and finding the right the right investment? Great question. I mean, I'm very fortunate. I've got a team of people that view a lot of houses every week mm -hmm. and then they shortlist them and they bring them to me. So what could take, you know, tens of hours a week is, is shortened. But And then I'm lucky because I've been doing this for 25 years. God knows how many viewings we've, properties we've seen in between <laughs> us. Um, but we've seen tens of thousands of properties. So I can just look at a property and I know. I can look at a floor plan, area, property, and my brain works it out. But to give some advice out there, um, don't rush. Take your time. Some of my clients will wait three months for the right property. There's no rush. You've got to find the right property. If you find the right property, whatever happens in the market, there's a solution. If you rush and you buy the wrong property, you've lost money. You're going to lose mm -hmm. money. Yeah. You make your money when you buy. So be patient. Buy the right property. Always look at something where you can add value. You can, if you can add value, then that's already a plan B mm -hmm. um, because you're forcing capital in a property. Um, yes, it's good to get it below market value, but don't be fooled. Anyone that says 15% below market value, it's lying. Yeah. Um, or it's just a one in a million. Um, but if you can get 5% realistically below market value because you see the potential that the seller really needs to sell, then great. Um, choose the right areas. God, how many people have tried to copy what we've done and just gone into the right areas? And I'm not just talking about areas, I'm talking about the roads within the areas, yeah. you know. Um, and do your diligence, um, covenants, Article 4. Article 4 in Bracknell is about title splitting. Article 4 up and down the country and a lot of other areas about HMOs. So do your diligence, know what you're doing, look at planning, look at covenants, um, and just be cautious. There's no rush. Mm.
yeah take your time with it and that background knowledge that you've got i guess you've built over the years connections with people that give you the heads up on which are the the red and the green areas to look at on on a map for things as well which that sort of experience you, you can't really buy it's time isn't no. it well you you know in what working working with, i had the pleasure of working with you for a number of years and every day all we did is looked at demographics numbers um areas properties um and it's drummed into you so so, so now it's something naturally that, that that we do um but yeah build your network build your connections make sure you've got the right people around you that that is so important don't listen to the wrong people um and if you're going to work with people like us with like you guys do your diligence make sure you're a good fit um and, and make sure you're happy with that relationship even from our point of view to for us to take on a new investor partnership um the process it goes through from registering with our team to meeting to zoom in to doing tours of what we're doing it takes time mm. it's got to be a good fit both ways i've got to be comfortable that you're going to be a good fit to work with us mm. for 10 years i'm going to make you rich I want to like you. I want you to be a good person. Yeah. And likewise, if you want to be rich, you've got to choose the right people. So, yeah, yeah building your network carefully is, is really important. Do you think the face of um, property investing is is changing? I've seen a lot more office conversions, permitted development, but they're doing it and converting it into rentals rather than converting it mm. into yeah. to sales. So you, you've got these blocks of apartments now that have got almost like concierge at the bottom. Some of them have got gyms and things like that, coffee shops below you pay a hell of a lot of money to be in them, but it feels a lot nicer than the standard resi block where they're all a bit run down and you haven't got concierge and you go through the communal areas and you think, Jesus, you know, I don't want to live here because it's a bit embarrassing the communal areas. So you kind of leave the light off if you're taking someone home. Um, mm -hmm. But it seems like the, the the way of the world is evolving a little bit. What you're talking about with co-living and these different types of PD schemes, it feels like property investing is changing. It, it is. I mean, um, I just love property and we've I've got a care company um we do I, I invest myself obviously we've got a development company um, obviously we've got a co-living business as as well so I'm quite fortunate I love what I do and I'm involved in every type of property invested every single day but it is changing it is evolving um the buy to let market died many years ago as as we all know it, it did you know, you look at a house, one of our smaller model HMOs would rent out for £1,400 in today's rental market as a buy-to-let, and we can create £3,500 a month by turning it into a mini luxury HMO. Yeah. Just goes to show you. Um, yeah, for, for me, and we're always looking for different commercial opportunities. Um, I think that's really important. I'm just working on something myself now in Berkshire, which we've bought, where we've bought a bit of land behind the property, but we're going to be building, building on, and we're converting an old post office um, into a, a family home. Um, so that's what I love about property. Whatever happens in the economy, there's always a way to make money. And I think what's happening with the property strategy, if you look at buy-to-let, um, HMO, co-living really is just a, 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 an involvement uh, of those strategies. So I think property investing hasn't changed. It's just evolving, as I yeah. keep saying. And you've got to roll with the punches and you've got to learn what works in today's market and sometimes you look at two or three different property strategies and you merge them into one uh, but that's the beauty of property investing in comparison to other investment um, formulas um, there's so many different ways to successfully invest in property it's a beautiful thing mm. Talk, talking on the hmos co-living then for, for your particular clients you've got a huge portfolio of properties now on behalf of your clients that are managed so 
what would you say or what is the average kind of tenancy for, for your HMOs com when you compare that for, with the for sort of co-living projects? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I would probably say the average across the UK is probably between 70 and 74%. We're over 100% all the time. Wow. Uh, we've got one property I always joke about when I'm with you guys, but it's been fully tenanted with six yeah. people for over four years. Yeah, I remember you saying it's that. Like my mind, it's in one of the... It's, it's in a nice area, which is nice now, but when I was a kid, it was probably the worst area in Bracknell. Um, and it's there. It just goes to show, if you if you, if you you pick the right product, if you if you deliver the right product in the right area, um, you won't you won't have issues. But um, the management team are ridiculous. They're amazing. The service is superb. Um, so why would tenants want to leave and risk going somewhere else? Obviously, if they if they find you know if they're lucky enough to find love or change jobs or you know we accommodate that. But then it's I'm not going to give all my secrets away. But then it's how you work with them um, in finding them another property or letting them go and, and making it comfortable and then replacing them. You know, there's an art to all of this. How do you, how do you pick the right area to to invest in? What what are you looking at? Are you looking in town areas? Are you looking in where the big sort of employed, employers are based? How, how do you pick the area? First thing you've got to do before the area is you've got to pick your tenant. What yeah. tenant do I want to work with? Okay, then you need to look at that market. Then you say, right, how do I be the best at that? Yeah. Then you've got to find the tenant. Um, and then you've got to work out whether the tenant's sustainable. So you might be able to fill a HMO or a co-living project or a buy-to-let today, but will you be able to in five years? So we're yeah. taking into consideration we want this investment to work for the next 10 years. So we're always thinking ahead. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll look at those things and then we'll put a plan together and, and make sure we're going after the right the right area. Then you, we take into consideration every neighbours. Um, if a proper, if we're going to force six cars to be surrounded by, just, just chucked around the road, we're going to upset the neighbours, we're going to upset the council. For me, that's not an area. I'm not going to force it. Mm. I'm going to take my time. We're not going to buy the wrong property. Yes, it could work could work doesn't mean it should work mm -hmm. so we're looking to we're, we're looking to get into the areas and get on with the local community get on with the councils for neighbors to like us um and that's that's really important to to, to us and mm. again it comes back to ethically investing so we don't force the investment if it doesn't tick all of our boxes we won't go in that area if it doesn't tick all of our boxes we won't offer on that house it's as simple as that mm. and i guess at the beginning that's the biggest lesson i've learned personally because I was so eager at the beginning to do more, um, and done properly, less is more. Um, you've got to think about if you're gonna if you're gonna be in this area, if you're gonna be in this zone for a long period of time, you don't want to piss people off. You want to get on with everyone. Yeah, yeah. You, you want to be you want to be embraced rather than resisted. Yeah. Uh, yields are obviously something that people talk about a lot in the investing world, and and whenever I talk to a new investor, they always want to know what's the yield, what's the yield. What's the yield? <laughs> It's, it's pretty hard to get over 5% these days, right? On a standard yeah, yeah. buy to let. So what's the sort of average yield that your investors we're, are getting with these? We're looking at between 12 and 14%. Um, Jesus. Gross yields. Yeah. Gross yields. But I'll be honest with you. I think this is one of the biggest problems with today's property investors. Um, we look at return on capital. We look at net profit. We look at capital appreciation. We look at yield. We look at all of these things combined. Yeah. But for me, if an investor comes to me and they're like, oh, this, is, this is the yield I want, or I'm not going to talk to you, yeah. then I won't talk to them because they don't understand finance, 
They don't understand yeah. the economy and they don't understand property investing. Yeah. It's, the, it's the same in our industry. It's why, you know, with our landlords, we moved away from charging fees that were percentages because it's yeah. confusing. It's just, yeah. You're yeah. almost like just pulling the wool over a little mm. bit. And it's like, these are the flat rates that we charge. And I always talk about it with the agents that we work with as well, is why are we charging percentages to sell yep. it when we could just charge, this is what you're going to pay. And yeah. it makes life a bit easier because it's money. A hundred percent. An investor came to me of a port, portfolio up north and the yields were crazy, um, in his words. Uh, <laughs> and they were pretty high. Um, and he had a portfolio of six properties making £1,100 profit. £1,100 profit combined. But the yield was good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, I mean, we can make two and a half grand net profit on one property yeah. and the yield's lower. So, so for me, it's understanding money. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of investors don't, a lot do lot don't understand money and look at the money you're getting look at the capital you're forcing into that property and you can take back out tax-free look at the plan for the next 10 years um think about it differently yield is a very way uh, old way as you know of looking at property investing um and it's all about for me how much net profit that gets per month uh, against the investment so return on capital employed um it's all about forcing capital in that investment so you've got money in it immediately adding value in that investment and it's all about it being sustainable uh, and, and an uh, end goal plan what's your 10-year plan what do you want to do with it in 10 years mm-hmm. you don't want to be stuck with a portfolio of 10 properties which have gone up in four percent value or 20 percent value but it's only five grand a property yeah you've got to think about these things yeah that's where to, it's it's about thinking about it isn't it so some of the investors that i've spoken to and I think we had, we had Sam Norris on, didn't we? And he was talking about making sure that you've got an objective, you've got a goal. What do you want yep. to achieve by the end of it? And it's and it's exactly that. What what do you want to achieve? Many investors don't think about the ten year ten year plan, and they're thinking about two year plan. It's yep. like two year plan's not really an investment, is it? Absolutely. You need to look at the long term side. Of it. What I just love about what you said, and this is my number one value. Um, we sit down with each investor that want to work with us, and we ask them what they want to they want to wait they want to get from it. What do you want to get from this investment? Because I think every investor's goal is different, so a yield could be important to one investor, but pointless to yeah. another investor. Yeah. Um, net profit is probably monthly net profit is probably important to everyone. Now, capital appreciation might be pointless for some investors, but for other investors. Uh, that are passively building a portfolio, that's all they really want. Um, so I love what you just said about Sam. It's That's what he wanted. He knew what his goal was and he went for it. Um, I think that's what we look at, each yeah. individual investor. Yeah, it's always what is your goal. Uh, you know, the most recent buy-to-let that I bought was purchased with a view of when I turn 50, I want it paid off. Mm. Yeah. So for me, what I make on that monthly is is very, very minimal because when I bought it, I did a 19-year repayment. And the 19-year repayment mortgage was high, obviously. But the ultimate goal is that when I turn 50, I've got an asset that's worth 300 grand or whatever Mm. paid off by the tenant. Whereas now I'm looking and I'm thinking, actually, I want to buy something that gives me the ability to pay for my holidays. So my holidays are not coming out of my salary. A tenant is paying for my holidays in a sort of backwards Mm. way. So that's my ultimate thing at the moment is if I'm going to spend 12 grand a year on going on holiday with the family, I need to make a grand a month from something, some sort of investment, 
that cost neutralizes that cost because a holiday is a cost but it's, yeah. it's very important to me and my family with young yeah. kids yeah because <laughs> it's going back down into that why isn't it that that makes perfect sense to me to me and you're, you're obviously talking sense and that's where the buy to let market can still work if you just want something to work without you even knowing in the background mm. and pays yeah. for your child's you know education or it pays for your pay or whatever that that works for me i i love that part of it i sat down recently with a new client they own their own dentist practice um really really nice guy really nice family actually i've met them all now um and we worked out a 10-year plan um and i'm gonna get that guy out of his job i'm gonna get that guy to sell his business and retire in his portfolio do you know how bloody proud that makes me? Mm. That's what I love about my job. Yeah. And I've done it before. I'll do it with him and I'll do it again. Um, and it's just, you know, elaborating on what you just said about your own personal um, journey, Ian. I love that. That's what I get to do. What he's, a cool job, right? He's probably working 45, 50 hours a week and you're going to bring him right back down to about five hours a week. 100%. He came to me with a 10-year plan. He went home with a five-year plan. Mm. Yeah. And he was that's happy. It. That's powerful because yeah. you just drop yeah. someone into 10% of their working capacity, which means they got 90% of their family and their life back. Yeah. I've, I've effectively just given him five years of his life extra, an extra five years of his life. Doing what he wants. Yeah. yeah. I love that. That's yeah. Great. It's awesome. So for people that want to talk to you about um, co-living, inverted commas, HMOs, if, if that's <laughs> stereotypically how you want to Google it, it's co-living from Pete's perspective and, and just giving you all the valid reasons as to why. Um, Social media, you've got the best part of a quarter of a million followers across different channels, so they can get in contact with you, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, pretty much all the platforms, I'm guessing. Yeah, they can, um, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, um, uh, go onto any of our websites, Google us, uh, make a bit of an effort to connect with us, and uh, we'd love to hear from anyone. If we can help anyone, we will, mm -hmm. um, and we're looking for you know serious partners that we can work with and team up with for the next 10 years, so if that's you, then get in touch, but... We love to help anyone we can. Follow us uh, on social media. We give so much content away. Um, follow you guys. You've always got our tours and content on as well, which is awesome. Um, and yeah, just invest carefully. Yeah. Appreciate it, Pete. Nice. Thank you for coming on. Amazing. Thank Cheers, you. guys. I'm flicking through YouTube and through Spotify. I don't think there's a podcast or a video channel on YouTube that landlords can land on where they're not being sold something. I mean, it'd be the first time any estate agents ever asked that question, but why not ask that question to a wider audience? They just have the knowledge there, but they don't seem to share it. You can do different episodes based around someone that wants an exit plan or someone that's just starting their portfolio. The rules change every year. Yeah. But why not just open the floor out and just say, well, is property even the best investment out there? And tax advice is a big thing, especially with everything that's changed, capital gains yeah. tax, and obviously your stamp duty costs that you need to pay and whatnot. People don't realise what they need to prepare for. We build a podcast, and we build a YouTube channel, somewhere that landlords can go and they feel they're not being sold to, but they're just getting quality advice.